Let us pray. May your Holy Spirit open our hearts to hear from you this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Happy New Year to you all on this very first uh, wintry day of 2024, first Sunday of 2024, and on this first Sunday after Epiphany. For those of you like myself who may have needed to Google it, Epiphany is the season where we celebrate the divinity of Jesus, and in this first Sunday after Epiphany, we celebrate the baptism of Christ. I was excited to be asked to preach in this season of new beginnings. I'm aware there are firmly two camps on New Year's resolutions. You either revel in the opportunity to evaluate the year that's been and in the setting of new goals, or you're a realist who has memorized the latest statistics on failed resolutions. Only 9% of resolutions are fulfilled. Despite the skepticism of many of my friends, I remain an idealist when it comes to New Year's. I like the sense of newness the New Year milestone can bring, the opportunity to pause, to step back, and to contemplate. In the days leading up to the new year, you can often find me sitting in a coffee shop, journaling and asking God for direction, and specifically a word or a theme for the new year. Occasionally, I forget what the word is by June, but often it sets a challenge to pray into across the year. Last year, I challenged myself to be willing to stay present in the messiness of life and relationship. And let me tell you, there were plenty of opportunities to work on that. The hot New Year's trend this year on Instagram has been creating an in and out list, which things are staying and which things are going. According to a New York Times article, gardening and staying hydrated is in, while podcasts and phone scrolling are out. Deviled eggs are in this year, and oat milk is definitely out. My favorite list belonged to an Australian scientific research organization, which claimed that peppering conversation with wombat facts was in, <laughs> while hating on slugs and snails was out. Did you know that wombats can run up to 25 miles per hour? Though anything shared on Instagram is pretty surface level, I think resolutions and the ins and outs list represent something deeper. They reflect in us a desire for change, a desire to put all out the old things that haven't been working, and a desire to bring in something fresh and new. They reflect a dissatisfaction with our current state of existence and a longing for something better, a frustration with the habits we fall into and the paths we've taken, and a desire to be a better for a better way of living. Those less inclined to make resolutions see the often fruitlessness of this exercise and our inability to break with the past. Our scripture passages today, I think, offer real hope and a real answer to this yearning in our hearts. In them, we see creation and recreation. There is a fundamental shift in the nature of being. From an individual to a cosmic level, the old passes away and the new arrives. This is most obvious in the creation story. In the beginning, there exists only these dark waters of the deep, these waters of chaos. And hovering over these waters is the spirit of God. God speaks light into existence, separates light from darkness. He creates a vault and separates the waters. He creates and he orders and gives purpose. If God's New Year's resolution was to create the earth, he was profoundly successful. 
In the understanding of baptism, again, we have a before and after. You enter into the water and you emerge. To be baptized by John, you are being baptized into this new message of repentance he is proclaiming. And this is a visible action for all to see. It's a change in your purpose and in your identity. The act of baptism is a reflection of the Israelites' escape from slavery in Egypt. They enter into the waters, the Red Sea, as slaves in Egypt and exit in freedom. And it is through God's salvation that this freedom is brought. They leave this old life of slavery behind and take on a new life. They are not going back to Egypt. And then our New Testament passage talks about the disciples being baptized into the name of Jesus. In Romans, Paul explains that this baptism again marks a fundamental shift in identity. And in fact, it is more than that. It is a recreation or a rebirth. In Romans 5, it says, Don't you know we who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In baptism, our old self dies with Christ Jesus and we are given a new life. John 1 says that those who believe are given the right to become children of God born of God. These are surely the strongest images of change we can imagine. One is not just trying to do something different in one's own will, but is remade, recreated into something entirely new. The character that appears in each of these three readings and who is tying these creation and re recreation acts together is God, and specifically the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. I have found it really rewarding to listen to a podcast called The Bible Project, which explores the story of the Bible as a whole. And I found their series on the Holy Spirit very helpful. I know many churches have different approaches and contexts for the Holy Spirit, so I found it really helpful to listen to their exploration of how the Holy Spirit is talked about throughout the Bible. It's really cool to see how it threads through the narrative of the Bible, how it draws everything together. The first time we see the Spirit of God in the Bible is right there in our first reading, hovering over the waters. The word used for the Spirit in the Old Testament is ruach, which is the same word used to refer to breath or wind. So the Spirit of God can be translated as the breath of God. In fact, when God creates man out of the dust, it says that God breathes his Spirit into them. His breath his spirit is what fills our lungs. It's what gives us life. God's spirit is intimately involved in this act of creation. Tracing through the Old Testament, God's spirit is given to select individuals who are appointed to do God's will. This spirit sometimes fills them at the moment they are appointed and also works to enable them to accomplish God's will. For example, God's spirit comes on David as he is anointed king by Samuel. Samson, the uh, judge, is filled with the Spirit when he takes down the Philistines. The prophets deliver their messages with the Spirit of God on them. While these events of God's Spirit acting through individuals are relatively rare, the prophets speak of a new time where God's Spirit will be poured out on all people. We get to Jesus and we have this wild picture of the heavens breaking apart and the spirit descending tangibly like a dove. 
Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit, like David was before him, at the start of his ministry, fully equipped and filled with the Spirit. And then there is this new baptism, which it says Jesus brings. While John brought the baptism of repentance, Jesus comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit, to pour out the Spirit on all people. There is this cool scene in John 20 after Jesus is raised from the dead, as he, descends, as he sends his disciples out to continue his work, it says he grieves on, him, on them and says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The New Testament is full of references to the Spirit, and it says the Holy Spirit is given to all those when they believe. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. As N.T. Wright says, it isn't just one or two individuals among God's people. It is all those who are called by God who are caught up in this new movement. We are called to be God's people indeed, not just in following him distantly, but inhabited by and animated by his breath. Throughout the Bible, we see that the role of the Holy Spirit is in creating, recreating, appointing, enabling, ordering, and giving purpose. And after Jesus, we see the Spirit instructing, pointing to Jesus, making Jesus alive in his followers. The Spirit that fills us is the same Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation, that descended on Jesus as a dove. Paul uses the term the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God interchangeably. This is the Spirit that recreates, fills, completes, brings purpose, orders, and enables. As in Genesis at the creation of the world, it works to recreate us now. In John it says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. A few weeks ago, I celebrated my 30th birthday. I really decided to embrace the period leading up to it by filling it with as much existential angst as I possibly could. What did it mean to leave the formational 20s decade and to enter the dreaded serious adult years? What had I really learned? What had I really achieved? 30 was the age at which Jesus began his ministry. The entering of the so-called Jesus years holds great expectation. The preparation time is over. It's now or never. On my 30th birthday, I went down to the coffee shop, sat by the window and pulled out my notebook, and I just felt so empty. I really had learned nothing. I really had not figured anything serious out. Gone was the energy of my teenage years, diminished were the aspirations of my 20s. I wrote in my journal, somehow I feel I have brought so little kept so little, and nurtured so little of what you have given me, God. I have brought nothing new when the sun rises. But as I contemplated all this, I looked out of the window and there was just a little sprinkling of rain. It could almost have just been dust floating. But the sun was shining through it into the window, just catching it faintly and causing it to glimmer in the light. And that was enough for the moment. In that second, I was content. This gift from God was enough. 
And I began to remember all that God had given me already. And though like the raindrops, what remained may have seemed small, with the light shining through, they were expanded and brought alive. I wasn't empty. God breathed life into me. He gave me the Holy Spirit that lives in me, and that Holy Spirit gives me life and purpose. He has given me all I need to live. I felt led to go through and look up all of the passages in the Bible that talk about fullness or being filled. In Psalm 23, David prays, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. In Romans, Paul prays that the church would overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, Paul prays that people would know the love that surpasses all knowledge and be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 2 Corinthians, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In Colossians, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. And in John 10, Jesus says, I am come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus offers us a fullness of life. We are filled with life through the Holy Spirit. Like water being poured into a sponge, the water permeates the sponge. It fills all the gaps until it is soaked completely through. And as you fill a sponge, it expands, it becomes larger, it takes on the properties of that water, becoming something different but greater than itself. If you fill a sponge enough, it becomes so drenched with water, it eventually overflows. It is with these liquid images that the Spirit is described. It is poured out. It fills us. Life of the Spirit is one of being filled and overflowing. And a good chunk of the New Testament is, devoting, is devoted to telling us what life looks like under this new life. It's a fullness of life, a fullness of purpose. The ultimate purpose of this fullness is not just for ourselves, but so we can overflow with love to the people around us. The Spirit is given to appoint and enable us to do God's work in bringing recreation to the people and world around us. To be the church is to be God's hands and feet, though sometimes we feel so empty that we have nothing left over to give those around us. I was really encouraged by Ryan's sermon last week. If you weren't able to listen, I would encourage you to look it up online. He talks about the abundance and deepness of joy that is available to us in this new life. And he talked about the healing that can happen through the Spirit of Christ in us. As I was preparing for this sermon, my first question was the practical one. How do we access this fullness that the Bible talks about? How do we find this healing that we seek? How do we get more of the Holy Spirit in our lives? I think in reality, some of this language of abundant life can feel intimidating or distant. To be honest, I have been through long stretches where the hope for change and for joy has felt really far off and where the weight of brokenness feels overwhelming. I looked through these, some of the New Testament to see if there were any answers to these questions and how the New Testament writers talk about the Holy Spirit. A lot of the instructions were not what I was expecting. Paul often instructs the early church to walk with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, put on the new self, and James instructs us to draw close to the Spirit. Here the assumption is that the Spirit is already in you. It has already filled you. You don't need to work to earn or find the Spirit. 
and that you can't get more of the Spirit if you just try harder. Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as a deposit that is placed in you, like an investment God has planted within you. And I find this helpful. When I feel empty, when I feel lost, it's encouraging to know that the Holy Spirit still fills me. God has already made that deposit. Martin Luther is said to have written the phrase, baptizatus sum, or I am baptized, on his writing slate when he was wrestling with despair and doubt. One scholar puts it, the fact of his baptism, of his recreation, stood as an anchor against doubt and despair. We are to remember that we are on the other side of the waters. We have emerged from the water, made new, filled with the Spirit of God. So many of us are burned out, tired of the same old thing, the same old patterns repeating, but the Spirit offers us hope, and the Spirit works in us to bring life and bring life to the full. We have been made a new creation. The old is gone, and the new is here. But there is still a sense in which we must tune ourselves to the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit, to become acquainted with its voice. Just because we are sitting next to someone doesn't mean we are interacting with them. In fact, we can just choose to ignore them if we like. But a mature disciple is aware of the Spirit, its prompting and the work it has given us to do. We allow it to influence our thoughts, our desires and actions. We tune ourselves to the Spirit, and we walk in step with the Spirit. Part of learning to recognize the Spirit's voice in us is supposed to be done in community. Since each of us have the same Spirit, we are led towards Christ by the same Spirit. As we listen to other believers, we learn to train ourselves to hear the Spirit in our own lives. In fact, much of Paul's language is collective. Paul refers to the church as the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. I think we also must leave space and time in our lives to allow the Spirit to speak. I personally feel the draw of so many distractions, but how can I expect to know the Spirit when I am so easily distracted by myself and by the voices around me? Our internet culture has trained our brains to skip about adeptly without focusing on one thing, but this makes it hard to stop and listen for the voice of the Spirit. And sometimes the hurt in us or the guilt at not being where we want to be causes us to push away from the Spirit. It can be too painful to admit what's in our hearts. And in this state, the distractions seem to leap at us. It takes concerted effort to bring our pain before God and allow the Spirit to work. My resolution for this year besides telling you that a group of wombats is called a wisdom of wombats, is to set time aside to tune myself to the spirit, to become well acquainted with it, to have consistent times in my day when my phone is switched off, the outside noises are quieted. I want to know the spirit, to be aware that the spirit is in me and to build a life of being spirit-led. And my prayer for you is that of Paul, that you would know the love that surpasses all knowledge and be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and that you would overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit.